The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. Today we're going to talk about a, a, one of my favorite subjects, and I, I'm not being critical of anyone by any means. I understood the conversation we were having at the time, but I told you uh, several weeks ago, maybe months ago, I don't remember, but I had a guy say, I think we need more uh, uh, preaching our church, basically, that people like to hear. And I agree with that. I mean, there's nothing worse than sitting through a, a long, boring sermon. You've sat through a bunch of them if you've been here the last 19 years. But I sat through a bunch of them, too, uh, over years that I've been in church. And uh, uh, the, uh, the idea behind that conversation was uh, preachers get up and preach about uh, hell and uh, judgment and all of these things and People don't like to hear it. Well, folks, we need to hear that sometimes. And and I want to know. I want you to understand. We're going to be in Exodus chapter eleven and chapter twelve. Now, you may say, "Oh no, two chapter." We went through four last week and got out of here at noon. So, so we did okay. So we just have two to go through today. But I want you to understand when when you stand before God and every person in here is going to. We're going to stand before God saved, or we're going to stand before God lost, but every person's going to stand before God. I don't want you to ever stand before God and say, well, Jake never told me that, or our pastor never, I never heard that, uh, because once we hear the word, we're accountable for the word. And God has included some things in Scripture, and we've been talking through Exodus and through uh, Moses' life, and it's been a a really good study, and I've had lots of comments. I appreciate the comments that you've really enjoyed this. And this is just another part of the Exodus. Last week, we moved up to the, the point of the plagues, and we stopped at chapter 11. And thus far, there's been nine plagues upon Pharaoh and upon the Egyptians. The uh, first two or three were also on the Israelites, but those six in the middle were not. So nine plagues so far. Israel has been exempt from uh, six of those, I believe is right, and now we're to the last one. And if we look around at the situation that our world's in today and our country's in today, uh, you know, drugs, abortion, same-sex marriages, mass shootings, all of those uh, things that we see in the news today, we may find ourselves thinking about the judgment of God. I think about that a lot about the judgment of God, and, and we are tempted to ask ourselves, and I bet you've heard someone ask this, or maybe you've asked this even yourself, how could God allow this to happen in America? You know, there's, those kind of questions come up a lot. But perhaps a more appropriate question would be, why has God not already judged America? Because the way we've come in our country, and moving all the way back to... 9 Do y'all remember what year that was? What year was that? 2001. Isn't that hard to believe? 15 years ago nearly. Some, some folks weren't even born then. That, you know, that, and they're already up here and in high school nearly. And uh, we, we kind of call that 911. If somebody says 911, uh, you may think of calling an emergency, but. For a lot of folks, when you say 911, you just immediately think about the bombings that took place. And I have read this several times from this uh, podium before. 
September the 13th, two days after the bombing of the World Trade Center and all the things that went on with that, the, the terrorist attack, uh, an interview with Jane Clayson interviewing Anne Graham Lotz. And y'all will recognize this. As I said, we've read this before. She asked this during her interview. She said this. This is Jane Clayson. She said, I've heard people say those who are religious and those who are not, if God is so good, how could God let this happen? To this, what do you say? That was the question asked to Anne Graham Lotz. And here's her reply. I say that God is also angry when he sees something like this happen. I would also say for several years now, Americans, in a sense, have shaken their fist at God and said, God, we want you out of our schools. We want you out of our government. We want you out of our business, and we want you out of our marketplace. And God, who is a gentleman, has just quietly backed out of our national and political life, our public life, and he is removing his hand of blessing and protection. We need to turn to God, first of all, and say, God, we're sorry that we have treated you this way. We invite you now to come into our nation. We put our trust in you. We have our trust in God. We have in God we trust on our coins, and now we need to put it into practice. Well, that's a great statement, isn't it? I mean, we can get behind that, and we can say, man, that is a... Great statement. If we look back at the the people of Egypt, we realize they were a stiff-necked people. Matter of fact, when we went through this study, the the Americans and God in America today looks a lot like God in Egypt and Pharaoh. Because you remember what happened? God sent Moses and Aaron to Pharaoh, and he gave Pharaoh a, a direct order, let my people go. That's what he told him. He said, let my people go. And Pharaoh, with this great arrogance, as we've talked about the last few weeks, he said this, who is this God? Who is Jehovah that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? In other words, Pharaoh said, I have no regard for God. I don't care who he is. I don't care what his words was. Who does he think he is? I was watching my show last night. Some of y'all know what that is already. If you come on Wednesday nights and a lot of times Sunday nights, I like to watch Lock Up. And there, there, there are, uh, there are uh, reruns, you know, a lot of them are from years ago. But, uh, and even Denise likes to watch Lock Up. So we, we got in bed about 10.30 last night or 11, and I turned on Lock Up, and, and there was a guy there, and I want to tell you about him. And, and you may start shaking your head, but, but he had some qualities about him. He had a tattoo all on his head, and, and it was horns, and it, it come plumb down, on, down nearly to his nose, you know, and just had some different looking things, and he took his shirt off, and he had a pentagram with a goat head in one side, and on the other side, he had this goat with all kinds of stuff coming out of it, and, and he said, I'm a, I'm a, a Satan follower, and uh, he said, I have committed myself to follow Satan. And they said, so you believe in Satan? He said, oh, definitely, I believe in Satan. He said, I believe Satan is an is a evil force against Christianity. 
and I'm against Christianity. So what did that guy say? He said this, I believe there's a God. I believe there's a Christ. And I believe He came to save us. But I'm opposed to that. If you looked at that guy, you would say, boy, that, that guy, what's he thinking? He's thinking better than a lot of Americans because he didn't deny the existence of God. Matter of the fact, he said this, God needs an opposing force. Now, I don't know what he meant by that, and I'm not sure where he heard that. But last week on Sunday night, we heard a man speak about atheists need God to prove their point. That's kind of what he was saying. He, he was saying, hey, Satan and God, Satan proves there's a God. Because if there's not a God, then why would there be a force of evil fighting against a force of good, God the Father? So, so he did at least understand there was a difference there. He needs prayer. He needs God the Father, or he's going to meet Satan. And all of a sudden, it's not going to be this neat tattoo of horns and pentagrams and goat heads. He's going to stand before God the Father, and God's going to say, you go and serve the one you served before. And all of a sudden, he's really going to understand what Satan is. But I'm not here just to talk about that. I'm talking about the people today and the people of, Israel, of Egypt harden their heart and they refused God. One more thing from last Sunday night, and I can't get too far off this or we'll run out of time, but, but one, of the, one of the things about these atheists that this guy was teaching on last week <clears throat> is this. He said the problem with an atheist or even an agnostic is this. The problem with us today is we want to be our own God. And when it all boils down to it, that's the truth. The truth isn't that a lot of people don't believe in God. The truth is a lot of people want to deny God because they want to be their own God. In other words, they don't want to report or they don't want to answer to a higher authority. So in order to soothe themselves, they say, well, there's not a higher authority. So, so I need to live how I want to. I'm my own God. I'm my own person. I deny any kind of other God out there so I can be my own God. And if we look and see what's happening in the life of Pharaoh, and, and he's saying, hey, I don't even believe this God. I don't even know who he's supposed to be. Why would I begin to listen to him? So this last uh, set of, of, of plagues, and if you remember plague number nine, Pharaoh told Moses and Aaron, you better not stand before me again, because the next time you stand before me, I'm going to kill you. So Moses and Aaron left. And this morning, as we begin to look at this horrific plague, the death, the death of firstborn, this is to convince Pharaoh who God is and what God's judgment is. Exodus 11, 1 says, And the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. And afterwards, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out of there Altogether. Now, the word used in Hebrew here for this last plague is this a stroke. It means something that's more disastrous than any of the former plagues. In other words, it's, it's saying there's something even greater coming. And the first nine plagues was this declaring who the Lord is. What was Pharaoh's question? I don't even know this Lord. Who is this guy? So God sent nine plagues to say, This is who I am. 
And then the last plague, this stroke, was judgment and punishment. So he said, here I am. Over and over and over and over and over, I've revealed to you who I am. So now, here's judgment and punishment coming. We look here in Exodus 12, 12, we find a summary of what it's going to be. It says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. I always like for you to think about this. Are you the firstborn in your family? Now, it doesn't say the children, does it? It says the firstborn. I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, listen, both man and beast. Remember, the livestock's already been affected. Well, here's another judgment against them. Both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute, I will have a stroke of judgment, I will execute judgment, for I am the Lord. That's where we're headed this morning. We're looking at what God said. I'm going to pass through the land of Egypt on that night. I will strike the firstborn in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment, for I am the Lord. There's four things I want us to see this morning about what God says here. Is it a little stuffy to y'all in here? No? Y'all okay? Is some saying yes? Marilyn, you said it is? Even you, the last test. <laughs> well, Tina's okay, but her uh, sister-in-law. So can you get some air moving, Doug, a little bit? We won't freeze you out, but I don't want you falling asleep on me this morning either. Uh, there's a guy that uh, we went and heard speak at uh, uh, the uh, uh, Go Tell Crusade. He says, if you're, if you're listening, say, I am. And, and I'm going to ask you that this morning because there's a few things I want you to be sure and hear this morning and for these things, the first is this, no one is good enough to escape God's judgment. Now get that. No one is good enough to escape God's judgment. The tenth plague had no automatic exemption for the Hebrews. Now remember, the other ones did. But this tenth plague, this tenth stroke of judgment and punishment there was no automatic exemption. It was a great day of judgment. And listen, folks, it was upon everyone. It was the blood of the sacrifice that saved Israel. That's what saved them. And the first thing we need to understand that Israel, Israel was also guilty of sin. Remember, I don't want you to get confused because in my mind I have to work this out sometime. Israel is in Egypt. Israel's God's chosen people. Egypt is who the plagues were against and against Pharaoh. But listen, Israel had also sinned against God. And when we look at that and we begin to study this, the children of Israel were not saved because they were good. They were saved because they heard the word of the Lord, they obeyed the word of the Lord, and they even worshipped the idols of Egypt. Matter of fact, when you go through and you study on his deathbed, Joshua, who followed Moses... When Joshua was on his deathbed, he looked at the, the children of Israel and he pleaded with them in Joshua 24, verses 2, and also in verse 15, he pleaded with them to do away with the gods of Egypt. So what does that mean? Joshua followed Moses. So what does that tell you? A lot of the Israelites, when they came out of the land of Egypt, they brought false gods with them. They brought them with them. All the way through the life of Moses, they had them with them. 
And all the way through the life of Joshua, they had them. And Joshua was pleading with them, do away with the gods of Egypt. So we don't need to look at the children of Israel and say, okay, they were spared because they were God's chosen people. No, they were judged. This judgment was up on them. This stroke that God put upon them in the book of Deuteronomy 7, 7 and 8, God told the children of Israel why they were chosen. Listen to what he says. The Lord did not set you his love on you, or choose you because you were greater than others, because you were more numerous than any other people. For a matter of fact, you were the least of all the people. But because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep an oath which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord has brought you up out with his mighty hand. He has redeemed you, he has bought you, he has purchased you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt." Israel escaped the judgment of the tenth plague. Listen, if you're listening, say, I am. They escaped God's judgment entirely on grace. Entirely upon grace. See, no one is good enough to escape God's judgment. Even God's own chosen people, they escaped His judgment entirely upon grace. Here's the second thing this morning. Deliverance came through faith. That's how deliverance came. All the way back to these these children of Israel. Their deliverance came not because they were God's chosen people. But it came through grace, by grace, through faith. By grace, through faith. Even though they were saved entirely by grace, it came through a channel of human response. Did you hear that? See, we get to reading, and I do the same thing, and I I begin to hear things, and something will catch my attention, and I'll think, what did I just miss? So I don't want you to miss this. They were saved entirely by grace, but it came through the channel of human response. Now, I'm not saying this morning, and I don't want you to leave here this morning saying, well, Jake said that we have to save ourselves. Or it's some kind of work we do that we save ourselves. This human response is this. It's faith. See, our human response, according to Hebrews eleven twenty eight, by faith, he kept the Passover. Now, we're talking about the Passover. That's what we're talking about. Chapters 11 and chapters 12, the plague of the firstborn, that's the plague. And then the Passover was because of the blood that we're fixing to get to, the, the death angel passed over. So, so when we look at this, the Passover, by faith, by his human response, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn would touch him also. So when we think about this, we're saved by grace through human response, which is faith. So he says in Scripture here, He kept the faith, He observed the Passover by the sprinkling of the blood, lest His firstborn be destroyed also. That's what Hebrews is saying. After announcing the plague to to Pharaoh, uh, Moses returned, he stood before the, the, the people of Israel, he gave them these instructions, and here were the instructions uh, on the unbelieving. He said, Exodus in 12, Exodus 3 through 7, he says, Speak to all the congregation of Israel saying that on the tenth of this month every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. 
And if the household be too small for a lamb, let him go to his neighbor next to his house and take according to the number of the persons, according to each man you need, and you shall make account for the lamb. Verse 5. And your lamb should be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you will keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Very specific instructions, isn't there? You'll keep it to the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill them at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the doorpost and on the lintel of the houses where they will eat it. That simply means down each side of the door and across the top. So Moses goes to the people. He said, here are the instructions. Now here's something I want you to realize. Nothing like this had ever been done before. These instructions to the Hebrews were like something they had never heard before. They, they, they had never roasted a lamb in this specific way. They had never slain a lamb and used the blood this specific way. They had never even heard of that. There was no precedent set for this. What logical reason for doing this with the blood? F.B. Meyer said this, It seems so utterly extraordinary for such a thing to be as deliverance of his people, because blood happened to be sprinkled on the outside of their doorpost. There was no precedent, no apparent reason to justify such a thing to the ordinary common sense. There was no likelihood of obedience having any connection with this and deliverance. In other words, it just didn't make sense. How in the world would taking some blood and putting it on the doorpost and across the top, how can that bring deliverance? It didn't make any sense. In other words, they couldn't take science and figure that out. They couldn't say, okay, this must be what it is. It's got to mean this. It's got to mean this. In God's great plan, if you're listening, say, I am. It required one thing. What was that one thing? Obedience. Faith. Obedience. Faith. That's what it required. Only one thing. They didn't have to go give extra money to the temple. They didn't have to go do all of these certain things that made them good or made them better. There was one thing. He said, I have a plan. My plan for your deliverance as the death comes to Egypt. I have one plan for you. It requires one thing for you. It requires obedience. That's my plan. Now put it into motion. See, when we go back to that human response, what was that human response? It was faith. And obedience. That, that response, that's how they, they responded. Attempts to live a good life, that didn't matter. It doesn't say anywhere in Exodus, well, this guy lived a good life. Moses lived a good life. So Moses, because of your good life, you don't need to do this. No good intentions. Hey, I know that you had good intentions and you do that. None of those things would suffice. No giving. Hey, I've given all my life. I've supported this. I've supported that. I'm a very benevolent person. None of those come into play, did they? Because God said, here's my plan. One thing is faith and obedience. Folks, today when we stand before God and we want to stand before Him on the merits of our goodness, when we stand before God and we want to give Him a whole list of all the things that we've done and all the good things we've done and the reasons He should let us in heaven, you know, there's one question we're going to ask. We're going to be asked, what have you done with my Son, Jesus Christ? That's it. 
well, I did this for him. I did this in his name. I did this in his name. The Bible says there's going to be people that stand before God on that day, and they're going to list God all of these things they've done for God, and God is going to say, go away from me. I never knew you. You say, well, how can that be? Well, they believed in God, but they never obeyed. They never took the blood of the Lamb. See, the Israelites could do that. They could have said, God, we're your chosen people. God, you selected us. God, you delivered us. God, you've kept us from these plagues. But if they didn't follow through with taking the blood of the Lamb, then all of that was for naught. Because God's plan was this. Through grace, by the human response of faith, following in obedience, there came deliverance. And the Messiah, some 15 centuries later, would come, Jesus Christ. And He would fulfill the demand in Hebrews 9.22 that says, Without the shedding of blood, there can be no remissions of sin. On the cross of Calvary, Jesus, one time for all folks, one time, he, he shed His blood for the world. He loved the world so much that God gave His only Son that whosoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life one time for all of mankind. And He said we need to take the blood of the Lamb. And those Israelites, they might not have felt like smearing blood on the doorpost. They might not have felt like smearing blood over the tops of their doors at their homes. But, but they, they, may have, they may not have even understood the Lord's reasoning. They might have said, Lord, I, I, don't, I don't even understand why we're doing this. Have you ever heard that? People say, you know what, I just don't understand. There's so many questions in the Bible I don't, I don't have answers to. There's so many things that I, I just don't understand. There, boy, I read the Bible and I, I read this and that and I, I'm not sure what it means. And, and I'm, I'm here and there and I'm all over the place. You know what, one thing. The Israelites should have, could have said, man, we don't understand this, God. We've never done this before. Never seen it done, never seen it written in the law. Never seen any of these things, but even though they didn't understand, they did. They obeyed the instructions of God. Even with their misunderstanding, all their whys, all their wherefores, all of those things went away. They simply obeyed what God had for them, and they responded to Him in faith. Sorry, folks, I got my notes all out of whack here. I had to go there because I got a scripture. Exodus twelve thirteen. It says, The blood on the door was a sign. Now the blood shall be a sign for you. And on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. The blood on the door to be a sign. A sign of what? That blood was to be a sign of what? It was to be a sign that Israel acted in faith. That's what the sign was. It was simply a sign that says, uh, I, I've had a lamb and the lamb has been slain and I've taken the blood of the lamb and I've, I've responded in faith. Nothing that I've done, it, it's about the lamb, it's about the shedding of the blood and, and I responded in faith. And anyone who followed the faith or followed instructions in faith, they would be saved. And, and in my belief, it's my belief that, that there were Egyptians also saved. Now remember, we're talking about Israelites and Egyptians. Israelites, God's chosen people. Egyptians, those that the plagues had come on. 
But if you go back to chapter 9, verse 18 through 21, you can see that some of the Egyptians, they heeded what God said. They believed what God said. And because of that, their cattle were spared. And even if you read in verse 12, 38, there was a number, a number of non-Israelites who left Egypt with Israel. So you know what? This chosen, this, this act of obedience, it wasn't just for the Israelites. It was for everyone. Anyone in Egypt, you know what? If Pharaoh had followed those instructions and had put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost and across the top, if Pharaoh himself had done that, God would have delivered him. God would have delivered his child. Because this promise was for all. And that night the people knelt and they worshipped quietly. If you've watched that movie, and I'm fixing to close, but if you've watched that movie, it messes some things up. Charlton Heston and, and uh, uh, Prince of Egypt, what's it called? Moses, I don't know what it's called. The Exodus, the Ten Commandments, that's what it's called, yeah. It gets some things right, it gets some things a little off, but it's pretty much, it's pretty good. But if you watch that, one of the things that, that really, I really had not thought about, it. I watched it here a couple weeks ago, you know, it always comes on around Easter. But Meyer said this, and I want you to think about this that night. If you didn't put the, the, the blood on the doorpost and across the top, that night, if you watch that movie, they're, they're in their house and they're singing a song and they're eating of the lamb. It says, suddenly in the stillness, it was interrupted by the screams of anguish as a mother rushed out into the night to tell that the death angel had began his work. And it was presently answered by the wail of another mother in her agony for her firstborn, and then by another and yet another. It was useless to summon a priest or a physician or a magician. How could they help the others who had not been able to ward off the death of their own? but there was no help. Folks, when Christ comes, when the death angel began to move, it was too late. Because God had said, here's my plan. Here's how you carry my plan out. Exodus 12, 29 through 30. We find a, it's, it's brief, but it's powerful. And it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck down all the firstborn of the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. Verse 30 says, So Pharaoh arose in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead Scripture says that there wasn't a home in all of Egypt that wasn't affected. Can you imagine that? There wasn't a home in all of Egypt. It's almost impossible for us to conceive. There's, there's no one good enough to escape this judgment. And deliverance came through faith. We're going to stop right there. This morning, I, I'm going to finish up next week. i got two, two little short points next week. It'll be a short Sunday next week. We're going to have communion together, and we're going to celebrate the, 
the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ together. But I want to ask you if you would join me this morning with the heads bowed. And you know, that old boy in the prison, he said, I'm Satan's servant, and I'm against Christianity. He, he had more than a belief in Satan. He had some action. That's why he was in prison. And what scares me, folks, is this. How many people believe in God? George Barna, he does a lot of, uh, he does a lot of surveys among people, and a lot of his stuff is, has to do with Christianity and different things. I heard this week that he did a survey that said 9 out of 10 people believe in God in America. I don't know if that's true or not, because if you believe in God, how, how could our country be where it is today? Nine out of ten people. And then I got to thinking, you know what? The Bible says this, demons believe in God, and they shudder. They shake. That guy in prison in San Antonio, Texas, he believes in God, and he defiles God. This morning with our head bowed, I, I want to ask you, do you believe in God this morning? If, if George Barna called you and said, hey, I'm with the Barna and group and we're doing a survey and we want to know, do you believe in God? I, I believe every person here would probably say, yes, I believe in God. But you know what? It takes more than a belief in God. It takes some action. It takes obedience. Next week, we're going to go through this one little thing again next week. And our third point is this. The Bible tells us that everybody's sinned and everybody's fallen short. You know what? Don't look at your life and say, well, I've been a pretty good person or I don't know that I've ever uh, really did much sinning. I've, you know, I've obeyed my parents. I work. I provide. I have good language. I, you know, I've never stolen, never cheated, never killed anybody. I'm, I'm a pretty good guy. A pretty good person. You know what the Bible tells us? We have inherited sin from Adam. Within us, death came through Adam. The Bible says through one man, death came. That was Adam. But through one man, life came. And that was Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ became the sacrificial lamb and shed his blood that we might have life. Believing's not enough. It takes some action. And if you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, if you believe that you need that Passover blood, that atoning, that, that atoning, something that paid your price, you find that in Jesus Christ. And God the Father said this, we need to confess that Jesus is our Lord. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you'll be saved. Because it's with your mouth you confess and you're justified. It's just as if you'd never sinned. This morning, have you ever accepted Jesus Christ? Have you ever taken the, 
the blood of the Lamb and said, God, I need to be covered by the blood of the Lamb. No other reason. One simple act, an act of obedience through faith. If you've never done that, I want to ask you, would, would you make today the day that you settle it once and for all? We're going to get a little more into this next week, but, but boy, the Israelites, they didn't understand that. That had never been done. I don't know all the reasons why. I don't know how, what, whys, whatsoever, but I know that's God's word, and I'm going to respond in obedience. If you've never responded in obedience, I want to ask you in just a moment, if the Holy Spirit's drawn you, the Bible says this, no one comes to the Father unless he's drawn. So this morning, if you have that drawing, if you have that desire, that's the Spirit of God moving within you. See, it's not our nature to be drawn to God, but the Spirit of God draws us into himself. This morning, if you have that drawing of the Spirit of God, I'm going to ask you to come in just a moment. Now, here's the hard thing. Well, everybody here thinks I'm a Christian. What would they think? I don't want to raise any doubts, folks. I want to put it to bed today. I want, I want to drive a nail in it and say, you know what? Today's the day. I am a born-again Christian. I had an uncle who was, grew up in the Methodist church, was sprinkled. He joined the Baptist church. He was baptized. He was ordained as a deacon. He served in that capacity as a deacon, a leader in the church. One Sunday, he came forward and he said, I have never accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. He said, but I want to do that today. A deacon in the church. He believed in God, but he had never accepted Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. He accepted the Lord and was baptized. His wife said two baptisms and a sprinkle, he ought to be good. Well, that's true, but you know what? The water don't save us. It's obedience to the one thing, and that's the blood of the Lamb. Father, I pray this morning, as we consider your word, we consider, Father, our life in you, we consider that atoning sacrifice as we see it so vividly in the life of the Israelites that they would take the blood of the Lamb and that they would cover their household, Father. You tell us there's a new covenant which is the blood of the Father. No longer does the blood of goats and lambs suffice, but there's a blood given by Jesus Christ. And for us who will take the blood of the Lamb and ask for forgiveness and ask for covering, there's deliverance from death. There's life eternal. Lord, this morning, no matter the amount of words that, that are just spewed out by just an old sinner up here, I know that your words and your spirit can move within our hearts and convict our hearts to be where you'd have us to be. I pray now, Lord, as we have this time of invitation, that we would respond to you that we would respond to the wooing of your spirit and that we would move out by faith in obedience to you. In Jesus' name.